Hi, I'm Drew Beebe, the host of a new podcast from CNN called Great Big Story. It's a show about the curious side of the human experience. And I know that sounds like a lofty idea, but hear me out. Over the course of this show, we'll talk to some of the most interesting people you've ever met, from brilliant code breakers to a couple building their own artificial island. If you're itching for a good story and you're curious like I am, well, I think you might like this show. Give us a listen wherever you get your favorite podcasts. What did the president know about the Ukraine whistleblower complaint and when did he know it? John Berman here in for Anderson. Tonight, new reporting that says he knew as much as a week before he finally released the frozen military aid to Ukraine and weeks before he said this to his Ukraine fixer, Gordon Sondland, about what he wanted from Kiev. I say to the ambassador in response, I want nothing. I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. Tell Zelensky, President Zelensky, to do the right thing. So here's my answer. I want nothing. I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. Tell Zelensky to do the right thing. Then he says, this is the final word from the President of the United States. I want nothing. Thank you, folks. So according to the new reporting in the New York Times, when he said that, he already had known for more than a week, maybe two, that the whistleblower was about to make out, point out, the very thing you just heard the president take pains to deny, a quid pro quo. It might explain why the president, not known as a great expert in the classics, was suddenly showing off his Latin. Here's the Times lead. President Trump had already been briefed on a whistleblower's complaint about his dealings with Ukraine when he unfroze military aid for the country in September, according to two people familiar with the matter. CNN political analyst and New York Times White House correspondent Maggie Haberman shares the byline. She joins us on the phone tonight. Maggie, thank you for being with us. It's a very special night when you get to ask in all sincerity, what did the president know and when did he know it? John, thanks for having me. So as you laid out, we reported tonight that the president was briefed by the White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, uh, and the National Security Council's main lawyer, John Eisenberg, uh, in August that about the fact that the whistleblower complaint existed. Uh, and the whistleblower complaint, of course, talked about, not as we know now, not just uh, the president's phone call with President Zelensky from July 25th, but also this question about the freezing of military aid. And it's significant not just because, as you say, the aid was unfrozen, you know, I think it was a little less than two weeks later, roughly then. Uh, but also, uh, so the president was aware of this, certainly, when this happened, but also when he spoke to Gordon Sondland, the ambassador to the EU, uh, who testified that he had a conversation with the president where the president said, you know, I, he was trying to get clarity on on whether there was a some sort of a, you know, holding up of the aid to try to pressure Ukraine on investigations. And the president said, I want nothing. I want nothing. No quid pro quo. And then something about wanting Ukraine to do the right thing. The words quid pro quo were not part of the, ver the public vernacular on this at that point uh, when the president was briefed on this and when he spoke to Gordon Salmon. So it's it's a notable phrase. And it just any any pinpointing of clarity we can get about where the president was in all of this, I think, is significant. Any sense of the detail in which he was informed when he was told about this in August? 
No, and, and we address that in the story. It's not clear how much detail Cipollone and Eisenberg got into with him. It's certainly possible that they presented only top lines. Uh, I do not believe that they told him who the whistleblower is. We have no reporting indicating that. Um, but uh, and, and based on the fact that an, a number of White House aides still seem to be in the dark about all of that, uh, you know, mm-hmm. after this all became public, um, doesn't indicate that. But, but again, it, it did. It, it's unusual for a couple of reasons, John, and one of which is uh, they're briefing the president on a complaint that the president is the subject of. Mm-hmm. Now, on the one hand, this is unprecedented, right? I don't think we've ever had an incident that that I know of of a, of a whistleblower complaint about. Um, the commander in chief. And so it's not really clear where this happens. And the reason that they were briefing him was they were explaining that they didn't think that they had to share this with Congress and that they were seeking an opinion from the Justice Department on whether they had to. So that's the context in which this conversation was taking place. And I think that their argument would be that there was no precedent for this. I think it is for, for critics of the administration, it's going to raise questions about whether it was appropriate to be sharing uh, the existence of this complaint with with the subject of it. It raises that question. It raises all kinds of questions about the timeline of, of a series of events that happened, including the ones you talked about. And then there's the conversation that he had with Republican Senator Ron Johnson days after it turns out he had been briefed about the whistleblower complaint. How has Senator Johnson described that conversation? So Senator, Senator Johnson has described it uh, that basically he reached out to the president. He had he had heard complaints about this and he reached out to the president to try to understand, you know, what it is that he wanted. And, and was he seeking essentially some version of what had been described and what Johnson had heard? And the president had a reaction to the extent of, you know, no, 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 that's not true. Who told you that? Um, but again, it just puts a finer point on the fact that he was aware of this as he was being asked. And I think asking the question of who told you that uh, is worth knowing, given that at that point there was a whistleblower complaint that, that at least some people had knowledge of in the administration. Indeed, it makes you rethink everything we know that the president said during that time, Frag. Maggie Haberman, terrific reporting. Thanks for being with us. Have a great Thanksgiving if we don't see you. Thank you. You too. Joining us now, Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, a, a Democratic member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator Blumenthal, thanks so much for being with us. The president had been briefed on the whistleblower complaint in August. That is before he unfroze the military aid to Ukraine. So just that alone, is this an example of two plus two equaling four again? It's a lot bigger than two plus two equaling four. This really terrific report shows, I think, why the president was in effect objecting to the potential charges about him before those charges were made. That clip that you just showed where, in effect, he is saying no quid pro quo. And it was well before that phrase entered the public lexicon. But it also raises the very, very profoundly important question about whether the president participated in attempting to conceal that whistleblower report as both the Department of Justice, the Office of Legal Counsel and his own legal advisor said they should do. And only because the inspector general of the intelligence community insisted that whistleblower pub report be made public. Was it eventually given public light? Well, this was a White House counsel. The White House counsel reviewed the decision and then asked the Justice Department. Ultimately, they said, don't turn it over. Why would the president be responsible for that unless he ordered it, which we have no evidence of? There is no direct evidence as yet whether or not he ordered it. But There is circumstantial evidence in the timing of his release of the aid, not until September 11th, only because of 
protests, and I was one of the senators who urged that the aid be released. But we had no idea about this whistleblower report. The president evidently did, and that probably was a key reason that he released the aid after learning that there was this very, very important whistleblower complaint. So essentially what it shows is consciousness of guilt. So you were a prosecutor for years. I was going to ask you about that. Using the phrase quid pro quo before anyone else is using the phrase quid pro quo, that you think shows consciousness of guilt? Combined with other circumstances. Absolutely. If I were arguing this case to a jury... I would say that we had enough evidence even before this report to rest my case. But here's another piece of evidence that is very powerful that can be used in building the case and saying that it should go forward toward impeachment. And let me just add, if the president wants to tell the American people about his innocence, he ought to come forward and talk to Congress about it in public, under oath, rather than hiding behind a computer screen. Well, he has an opportunity, or at least his people have an opportunity next week. The House Judiciary Committee is going to get in the game here. They are going to hold public impeachment hearings. And what they're going to do first is talk about the constitutionality or what constitutes an impeachable offense. And they're going to have scholars in to talk about. But the president, he's welcome to go. He's invited to go himself if he wants to. But it's more likely that he sends his legal team there. What do you expect them to say? I think what they'll say is that all of these facts, whatever they are, in the legal history here, don't constitute an impeachable offense. But clearly there was bribery, which is specifically mentioned in the Constitution as an impeachable offense. The president offered to perform a legal responsibility, namely releasing that military aid in exchange for something of value and benefit to him. Except except what Republicans say is there's no explicit promise of the release of military aid in exchange for it. There's no recording of the president saying it out loud, even though we've had witness after witness say it's their understanding that that was the case. Well, as a prosecutor, I used to sometimes wish for recordings and videos of crimes. They're not all that common. Mm -hmm. What you have is circumstantial evidence and the powerful witnesses that were on display last week. They had nothing to gain and everything to lose. They were career civil servants who were risking everything. And they consistently described what the president said about these events and what his expectations were. And where you began in this conversation, Mm -hmm. two plus two equals four, that's what you argue to a jury. And ultimately, the Senate is the jury here and the court of public opinion. Senator Richard Blumenthal in Connecticut, thanks for being with us tonight. Thank you, Jim. Have a happy Thanksgiving. You too. All right, more perspective now from CNN senior political analyst David Gergen, CNN chief legal analyst Jeffrey Tubin, CNN senior political analyst and USA Today columnist Kirsten Powers, also David Urban, former top Trump campaign strategist, a CNN political commentator, and we should add a Washington corporate lobbyist. Uh, Jeff, um, the timing here has always seemed convenient, and there, was all, there were always those who noted that the president released the aid after the White House knew about the whistleblower report, and same thing with the use of the quid pro quo. But now you have a report that says he was specifically told, right. specifically told. Why this matters, I mean, why this matters is that one of the defenses has always been that was raised in the Intelligence Committee hearings is like, what's the big deal? They released the aid. So so and and um, the uh, president of Ukraine never did the investigation. So how could there be an exchange if if the president of Ukraine never never came through? 
what this story establishes is the reason he he released the aid is he got caught. He got caught in this illegal or improper or wildly inappropriate enterprise of trading taxpayer money for dirt on Joe Biden. He got caught. That's what the whistleblower letter says. And that's why he released the aid, because he didn't want to be caught anymore. He wanted to have an excuse to get right with, uh, you know, a, a situation where he'd been caught. You know, Kirsten, it is interesting because this is one more piece of evidence, albeit it's not in front of Congress, but it's a report here. More evidence on top of a mountain of evidence. So what does that matter? Uh, well, I, ju- I think the more, you know, the more evidence you can get to, I mean, it, it supports pretty much everything that we've already seen. But I think it's really important because, you know, you have the president insisting, you know, I said that there was no quid pro quo mm-hmm. and somehow that's meaningful. Well, now we know why he was using it, those that phrase, which always seems strange because it's not really how anybody talks, frankly, but it's specifically not how he talks. And so the fact that he knew he had been accused of quid pro quo uh, because he had seen this report, I think, is very meaningful. Um, I also think just extremely troubling that he was being told about this whistleblower report and that it was the decision of the White House that they were going to keep it from Congress when under normal circumstances that would be sent to the relevant committees in Congress that have oversight. And so there's just a real lawlessness um, and and just obvious corruption to this kind of behavior. You know, David Urban, I want to read you the text exchange between U.S. diplomat, the top U.S. diplomat in Ukraine, Bill Taylor, and EU ambassador Gordon Sondland. Taylor writes, quote, as I said on the phone, I think it's crazy to withhold security assistance for help with a political campaign, to which Sondland replied, quote, Bill, I believe you are incorrect about President Trump's intentions. The president has been crystal clear. No quid pro quos of any kind. The president is trying to evaluate uh, whether Ukraine is truly going to adopt the transparent reforms President Zelensky promised during his campaign. Sondland has testified that's what the president told him. We heard the president reading out loud from that note card. But of course, that's what the president told him because he knew he was being accused of it by a whistleblower. uh, And your point, John, is what? I I still don't understand uh, where the connection is, the nexus is here between or anything that shows that the reason the president withheld the money was because of because of this meeting. There, there, there could be, uh, you know, as the president said, and as others have said, the president was very concerned about whether or not the Ukrainians were going to clean up their act, whether or not that was, was true or not, whether other people were going to kick in or not. And, and, you know, Jeff, Maggie's reporting goes pretty far, but it doesn't go as far as you as you'd like to see. And, and, and just finally to note real quickly, apparently Senator Blumenthal forgot he's a juror, supposedly a juror in this in the uh, upcoming impeachment trial of the president, it seems like th- there's no need for the, them to have a trial in, in his well, mind. He clearly states the president's guilty. Well, I, I will only note that the jurors like Lindsey Graham have said they don't even want to look at the evidence or watch the hearings because they've already decided the president's innocent. So it does work both ways there. Right. But I, but I do. Right. Exactly. But so, I, so, so, so John, again, just to come back, this, 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 is, this is a political endeavor. Um, I, I don't think that after all of what we have mm-hmm. seen in the House... The, the polling, you know, no, nobody was swayed. House members on either, either side aren't swayed. And if anything, I think mm-hmm. some of the Democrats may be swayed in terms of they're seeing the polling, they're hearing from Americans saying 
this president shouldn't yeah. be impeached, and they're getting a little nervous. There's no evidence of that. First of all, the polling shows that 50 percent. Oh, they're polling. No, 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 no. Let me finish. The polling, the CNN polling shows that 50 percent of the American people, half of Americans, support impeaching and removing the president. It hasn't changed but, in two weeks. Hasn't fallen. It no, hasn't John. risen either. It hasn't fallen or risen. No, it's it fallen. Exactly it, it's same. fallen. Yeah, not well, in the CNN poll, no, David. No, it's fallen. Not in, I mean, not in the CNN oh, poll. Not, not, not the in CNN the Reuters Ipsos poll. But not in the Morning Consult poll. Uh, it's fallen in the Quinnipiac poll. Strategy, it's, fallen, it's, fallen, it's, fallen, it's fallen. It's basically stayed the same across the board if you average all the polls. To say it has plummeted as John, the president why, so John, why do you think? Why do, why do you, but John, why do you think? Why do you think the Democratic House members are talking about censure now versus impeachment? Yeah, Brenda Lawrence brought that. And, and she's backed off that. I, I understand that argument. I do. But what I'm saying is that opinions seem to be set here, but they haven't fallen. People haven't backed off impeachment. Not yet. David Gergen, I do want to bring you into the conversation on the idea okay. that David Urban brought up there, which is that there isn't a tape recording or there isn't videotape of the president saying, I order a quid pro quo, which seems to be the only level of evidence that would move Republicans in Congress on this? Well, we'd know a lot more if the president weren't stonewalling. And, and what the hypocrisy here is that the, the, the Republicans are claiming there's no direct evidence. We don't have the president on tape. We're doing something that's very direct. Uh, and there's a reason for that, and that is the people who talk to the president have all been prevented from testifying. Uh, you know, and, that, and the president has shut down that part of this inquiry. What we're into is that, the, that there is plenty of circumstantial evidence. There's overwhelming circumstantial evidence uh, that supports the notion that, for better or for worse, uh, the president was not moved by the, the corruption, overall corruption in uh, in Ukraine. He was that wasn't his point. Sondland made that point, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to Holmes. Uh, the president is not interested in, and doesn't really give a damn about that. What he cares about is the big stuff, and the big stuff is his own survival. Uh, I think what we see here is overwhelming evidence, and this helps to confirm what we've learned uh, tonight about mm-hmm. the president when he knew and what he knew it, what he knew and when he knew it. Uh, this helps to confirm that. He was conducting a very secretive and well-covered-up enterprise to force or bully the Ukrainians into digging up dirt on Biden and Mm -hmm. on Hillary. Um, And he knew it was not going to last forever. The pressures began to build up from within the administration uh, against the withholding of aid. He was starting to get pressure from the Hill, and then along comes this whistleblower, and that's what triggered him to uh, to, to, to lift the hold. Uh, I think that's very, very plain. But we have to break down the stone wall if we want the full story. All right, friends, stand by. A lot more to talk about, including transcripts of closed-door testimony from a White House insider and just how concerned and upset officials in his department were about the freeze on aid to Ukraine. And later, more breaking news in a 360 exclusive. Lordy, there are tapes. One of Rudy Giuliani's lieutenants and alleged criminals, Lev Parnas, and the photos and videos that his lawyer says congressional investigators now have. Even as Maggie Haberman was breaking our lead story about what President Trump knew and when about the Ukraine whistleblower report, we were getting transcript of closed-door impeachment testimony on the Ukraine affair by a former career White House budget official. Mark Sandy told lawmakers that two officials at the Office of Management Budget had left their jobs and both had concerns that military aid to Ukraine was being held up. Back now with David Gergen, Jeffrey Tubin, Kirsten Powers and David Urban. You know, so, Jeffrey, 
The president and his allies have been saying this is much ado about nothing. It's not really a big deal. But when two government officials quit over concerns, that's kind of a big deal. Well, again, it's a cumulative set of facts. I mean, this alone doesn't prove anything, but it's yet another fact that shows how out of the ordinary this was, how improper it was, and how the people who were responsible to actually follow the law were upset about it. You know, that- Mick Mulvaney gave the famous news conference, Mick Mulvaney, not just the acting chief of staff, but still has authority over OMB. He's told the country we should all get over it. Uh, but people within his own agency, OMB, they clearly weren't getting over it, Kirsten. No, I mean, and it's not, it's, I mean, the fact that you had uh, multiple people quit over this, I think, is important information. But there was also a lot of concerns. There was a memo that was written, uh, you know, concerns that this this violates the law. Um, the, the, there was um, pretty much nobody other than Donald Trump. According to David, like, his concern here, right, was that Ukraine was so corrupt and therefore mm-hmm. um, that's why this money had to be withheld. And yet... Nobody who's actually worked on the issue has testified that that was the the case. And in fact, I think it was Mark Sandy who had testified saying that they had made a lot of advancements in terms of anti-corruption and that they had been cleared uh, to receive the aid. And, And by the way, to David's point or claim... If, if that was what President Trump was interested in, then why did he never bring that up in the call? He brought up CrowdStrike, you know, a conspiracy theory, and he brought up the Bidens. So th- there's no evidence that the president actually was, intre- was holding up this money because of corruption. And I think we now have more information from OMB showing how disturbed they were about this. You know, David Urban, next week it'll be interesting. Yep. The House Judiciary Committee is holding its first public hearings on this about impeachment in general, what constitutes an impeachable offense. And by the rules, the president can go and the president can send his lawyers to take part in these hearings and they can ask questions. What do you think the White House should do here? What do you think the White House attorney should do as part of this hearing? Listen, I said this and Jeff and Kristen may have heard this before as long as as well as David. I, I don't think, again, I don't think the president's under any obligation to prove himself innocent here. I think the House, uh, they've made the decision they want to bring impeachment charges. They need to bring the charges. They need to bring the evidence. They need to prove that the president did these things. He's under no obligation. And, and, and moreover, there's going to be an upcoming Senate trial following this, this, uh, this House, whatever, you, you, the hearings. Uh, and if I, was the, if I was the White House, I would hold back everything until the actual, the actual trial. I think David's proposing what... has been the White House strategy throughout, which is basically to say this whole thing is a kangaroo court. It's a waste of time. The public hates it, but never engaging on the facts that have been established. But that's an interesting legal strategy. We'll wait and see if they show up next week. I don't don't think it's just to be quiet. I mean, David's suggesting that you say nothing. I think you will hear complaints that this is a kangaroo court, but you will never hear the White House engage on the actual facts. Uh, David Gergen, last point here. The House Democrats are writing up, the House Intelligence Committee is writing up their report uh, on this, and judiciary will ultimately decide what are articles of impeachment. And there is this ongoing debate or whether to stick to Ukraine or to expand into some of the Mueller regions. What do you think they should do? Expand. 
I think it's important for the country uh, to make a decision based on the, the whole body of evidence about the conduct of this presidency, not simply the phone call. I do think it would strengthen their case. And I think the country really needs some sort of way to come to grips and come to peace with all of this, that justice has been done. And that will be done through transparency and going the full the expanding. John, 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 Dave, we got it. We got it. We're going to take a quick break. We have much more coming up, including the breaking news, exclusive new reporting on the other side of this break that could spell trouble for Rudy Giuliani and President Trump. More breaking news tonight that could spell more troubles for President Trump, as well as possibly his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. In a statement, the lawyer for one of Giuliani's former Ukraine associates arrested on campaign finance violations told 360 this, quote, Joseph A. Bondi, one of Lev Parnas's attorneys, confirmed to CNN that his client has turned over photos, videos and other materials to congressional investigators, but declined to detail the contents. Mr. Bondi also confirmed that Mr. Parnas is complying with the Intelligence Committee's subpoena to the fullest extent possible notwithstanding limited access to Mr. Parnas's phones, computers, and records as those were seized by federal prosecutors at the time of his arrest. Now, in a separate conversation, Bonnie's lawyer also told 360 the material, including photos and videos, is, quote, different and more extensive, unquote, than anything the public may have already seen on the Internet. These are some of the pictures that are out there on the Internet of Parnas and his associate Igor Fruman with both President Trump and Rudy Giuliani. Back with us, David Gergen, Jeffrey Tubin, Kirsten Powers, and David Urban. And Jeffrey, just a broad question, how significant is this? Well, it obviously depends on what's, right. what's in, in the documents. <laughs> I mean, what, what seems to be going on here is that one of the two defendants, Lev, looks to be making a deal, looks to be trying to, try, negotiate, trying to make a deal where he either gets lesser charges or no charges. That seems unlikely now that he's been uh, indicted and potentially turning into a witness. Now, would he be a witness against really Giuliani? Would he have incriminating material? We don't know, but that seems to be the, the backdrop to, to what's going on here. But I think in fairness to Giuliani and everyone else, we need to, you know, we don't know what's in the documents and photos, so we can't say they're incriminating. We don't know. Uh, that much is clear. And David Urban, one thing that is interesting is Republicans I talk to about Rudy Giuliani, I will ask them, how, how far out on a limb? Are you willing to go for Rudy Giuliani and all of this? And they basically say not far at all. How toxic <laughs> is Rudy Giuliani? How much of a problem is he to the Trump presidency? Oh, look, I, I, I think the president and Rudy are obviously very close friends. So, uh, I, I, you know, I don't think the president is ever going to walk away from Rudy Giuliani. And I don't think Rudy Giuliani is ever going to walk away from the president. So I don't think that's a question that's going to have to be answered. Um, j- just to quickly, to you know, David Gergen made a, made a point about having lots and lots of different uh, articles of impeachment. Uh, you know, the point the point that I just want, want to make and have people think about it: there are 31 House Democrats who were in seats that Donald Trump mm-hmm. carried handily, um, and they won. And so, knowing knowing that the Senate is going to acquit mm-hmm. by all by all accounts, are those 31 Democrats are they going to feel confident going to the floor? And you know, just how many profiles and courage will there be? If they're uh, on these uh, articles of impeachment, knowing yeah. that Senate's going to quit and they're going to run free election in a, in about ten months, so that, it'll, that, that's a point that's you may have a lot of a lot of uh, articles, but let's see yeah. how many people vote. That, with. That, that's a political consideration. It's also a political consideration for Susan Collins, 
uh, and Cory Gardner uh, and and senators who might be running for elections in states that Democrats have won. So I understand. Senate's not going to lose 20. I understand. But there's politics at play here for a lot of people who will cast important votes. Um, David Gergen, to that issue of Rudy Giuliani, you know, you've worked in many administrations. You've seen administrations distance themselves from people. Based on what we now know about Rudy Giuliani, should this administration start working hard to create some serious distance? I think the president has already started that today with his comments that uh, he didn't direct Rudy Giuliani's operations uh, in Ukraine, uh, in which in which everybody else said basically he did. Uh, and he also said, I don't know what he was doing out there. He's a warrior, as if that excuses everything. And But he said I, he goes out there for a lot of reasons, and some always have nothing to do with me. You already began to feel that he's maneuvering to get a little, a little put a little light between the two of them. I want to make just briefly a couple of other points. So, you know, this the, the, the polls are not just a private disappointment to some Democrats, but it's also should be some private disappointment to Republicans who thought this was to, to if the Democrats went down the road toward impeachment, it was going to mm-hmm. blow them away. It was going to, you know, and that didn't happen in these polls either. Uh, so that's true. But the last point is, you know, with this continuing flow of new information, new facts, new insights, there's got to be some mechanism that the the Intelligence Committee or the House can have to, to remain open, to keep the window wow. open after the time that these votes come in. What if new evidence comes in that really, really does show something that it, it cinches a case? Don't, don't, there has to be some mechanism to deal with the, what the future information we're going to learn. In fact, you can always add articles of impeachment. You, you can keep on doing the process. Well, There's nothing that says you have to be finished. Once you vote on certain articles, you can't vote on others that come up. But Democrats would have to decide they want to do that. Um, and Kirsten Powers, to you, well, you know, Lev Parnas in Igor Fruman, these guys are characters at this point, and, and, I, and I put that in, in quotation marks, and obviously it's ha- affecting Rudy Giuliani, and they have pictures with the president, but there's also the lawyer says that he's got information that Devin Nunes is somehow tied up in all of this as well. Um, how do you see this playing out? Well, I mean, I think it's like what Jeffrey said. It just depends on what they have and what they can deliver. They also have claimed that they, you know, at a dinner uh, with the president had told him, you know, they, they were the ones that were really driving this smear campaign against uh, Marie Yovanovitch and, mm-hmm. and that they had told him that she was, you know, working against his, against his interests. So, I mean, maybe if they did, in fact, actually have recordings of something that that could be meaningful, I don't think, well, I want to say two things. One, to David's point, I completely disagree about Giuliani. I think Trump would throw him under the bus in a split second. I don't think he'd even think twice about it. Um, I don't think, however, that even throwing him under the bus gets Trump out of this because there's just too much evidence showing that he was driving this this bus, basically. Um, But I think he would absolutely do it. Berman, can you refresh my memory? What's the name of the company that these two gentlemen ran? Fraud guarantee. Yeah, I, you know, I, I just, I, I keep wondering, guarantee. what was the second yeah, choice name that, that was worse than Ford guarantee? Yeah. I don't know. All right, yeah. Jeffrey Tubin, David Gergen, <laughs> Kirsten Powers, David Urban, thank you all for being with us. And again, happy Thanksgiving Thanks, to all of you. President Trump, you. Happy Thanksgiving, John. President Trump drops another swear word at a rally and once again talking about Democratic investigations. And we'll have more on the polling we've been talking about and some of the supl- surprising splits it reveals on just Who wants the president impeached? Moments ago at a rally in Sunrise, Florida, President Trump had a single colorful word to describe all the impeachment news lately. And if you have kids, cover their ears. 
And now the same maniacs are pushing the deranged impeachment. Think of this. Impeachment. Impeachment. A witch hunt. The same as before. And they're pushing that impeachment witch hunt. And a lot of bad things are happening to them. Because you see what's happening in the polls? Everybody said, that's really bullshit. Keeping them honest, according to a new CNN poll, and with all due respect, that's bullshit. After five days of public testimony, half the country, half, believes believes the president should be impeached and removed from office. 50% are in favor of impeachment and removal. Just 43% disagreed that he should be impeached and removed. Now, we should point out that number hasn't moved at all since last month's poll. But there is a widening gender gap. 61% of women believe he should be impeached and removed. That's up five points since last month's poll. Joining us now, former chief of staff of the RNC, Mike Shields, and former executive director of the Congressional Black Caucus, Angela Rye, both CNN political commentators. And Mike, I understand that the White House and Republicans are saying, oh, the the, the support for impeachment and removal hasn't shot up. But just the number of 50 percent, if 50 percent of Americans want you impeached and removed from office, that's not really good news for a presidency, is it? Well, John, it's very interesting. I never look at just one poll. I always look at a number of polls, but I also read the crosstabs. I read the crosstabs of this poll. I read down deep. This poll has sampled into it 25% of Republicans, and that's no BS. And so, look, it's not an illegitimate mm-hmm. poll of the people that it was polled. I'm sure the numbers are right, but it's also got a massive number of independents in it. Uh, when you look at the Emerson College poll that came out, another serious poll, the uh, whether or not to impeach went down 11 points during the hearings. The Gallup poll, another serious poll came out and it was literally had bounced back to where impeachment was before the hearings began. But, but I'll say, I'll say, um, I'll say, Mike, I guess, I guess what I'll say is, is that if you take the totality of the polls in 538 yep. and everyone does the average, they haven't moved or they've barely moved. And if they have moved, 538 shows the average shows that support for impeachment and removal has crept up, albeit slightly. So let's take the average because every poll you saw, I can cite Morning Consult, which shows support goes up. I can cite Writers Ipsos for support goes up and you can cite one for the that goes down. Bottom line is, let's stipulate if it hasn't moved still to have 50 percent want you thrown out of office. What I'm asking, that's not a very comfortable place to be. Well, Look, I, I just, I, first of all, I don't buy that there's 50% that want him thrown out of office. But to accept oh, the, the yeah. point that you're making, this has been, I believe, very, very bad for the Democrats. They've had their time at bat. They made their case. And look, I, I highly, highly recommend, seriously, everyone watching this, go watch a Cl- the, the Clinton Affair, a six-part series done on A&E. I, I worked for Newt Gingrich in the 90s when Bill Clinton was impeached. Mm-hmm. And there are so many parallels to what's happening right now. And we went down a path where we were convinced that we had to uphold the law and had to impeach the president. Our right wing Mm -hmm. was forcing us there and we paid a political price for it. And Democrats are getting ready to they've had their their bat. We'll see. And they haven't moved any numbers. We'll see. And there, the, the president's and approval a lot rating. Of Democrats are going to pay a price President Clinton's for that. approval rating was in the 60s as opposed to That's the low right. 40s or 30s. There's a difference. But I, I take your point, Mike. Angela, this is something of a Rorschach test. You've heard the numbers now. What do you see here? 
Well, I think that it's very clear um, by virtue of the fact that my colleague here couldn't answer the question. The answer is this is not good for the president. Um, it's not it's not good. Just like he can get as many black folks as he wants to stand behind him at a rally with off brand black voices for Trump T-shirt. There are no real black voices for Trump and there is no real support. Thirty four percent of support this, in the Emerson poll. So, Mike, when you talk, I let you have the floor, even when it was bullshit. So I'm just saying, let's just be for real for a moment. And the for real moment is this. Donald Trump has done something wrong. Donald Trump has been doing things wrong. Donald Trump has several conflicts of interest. Donald Trump did wrong with the Ukraine issue. Mm. Donald Trump did wrong with the Mueller report issue. Like we can go on and on. And what's happening is people's uh, consciences are finally getting pricked. They understand how grave of a danger this country is in. And so you can go through the crosstabs and you can go through the fact that enough Republicans weren't polled. But here's what we know. Here's what we know. Donald Trump's impeachment um, support numbers are unprecedented. Or if you're a Donald Trump tweet, they're unprecedented, mm. Mike. And that is something that the Republican Party has to come into account for. It is high time. And I've criticized the Democratic Party for this. It is high time that we do right by the law that we do right by this country, and they're finally doing that with mm. impeachment proceedings. Let's get on the other side mm. of this judiciary hearing next week and see what happens. I will show that I will say that one thing uh, that tonight proves is that these polls show that opinions are pretty solidly entrenched, and I think we've showed yeah. that tonight. Angela Rye, Mike Shields, thanks for being with us. Thank you. John Bolton's newly elevated presence on social media is giving rise to one central question. What in the world is he up to? That's when 360 continues. Time to check in with Chris to see what he's working on for Cuomo prime time at the top of the hour. Sir. JB, not unlike these pictures of our pretty faces, there's only one image, but they are made of many, many little pixelations. So, too, will be the investigation of this president. And tonight, two pieces that matter. If we were wondering why that aide got rushed through at the last second, as if we didn't know enough already... The whistleblower complaint was told to the White House and the president was briefed. Okay, so if you want to know why they released the aid, they have no better answer than the exigency of the pressure they thought was coming. And as for the aid, why did an OMB senior staffer see it as wrong? And why was the duty replaced? And why did they leave? Big pieces. We'll take you through it. We look forward to seeing you in HD tonight, sir. All right, coming up, what former National Security Advisor John Bolton is up to on social media? That's next. Former National Security Advisor John Bolton is not talking to Congress about the Ukraine affair. However, he does appear to be teasing social media with tweets like this one. Quote, it probably goes without saying that our country's commitment to our national security priorities is under attack from within. America is distracted. Our enemies are not. We need to make U.S. national security a priority. So what is he really saying here? Joining us now is Washington Post columnist and CNN Global Affairs analyst Max Boot. Max, he's not talking to Congress, but he is now putting out these carefully worded tweets. What do you think he's doing? Well, clearly he wants attention. He wants to have an impact on the public debate. He's also, by the way, launching a super PAC, Bolton PAC, 
which is a way he can exert political influence and probably also make some money through donations. So clearly he's he's getting back into the game, but he does not want to. The one thing he does not want to do is he does not want to do his civic duty because Congress is holding impeachment hearings. And he clearly has evidence that Congress needs to hear because we've heard Fiona Hill say that he referred to this Ukraine deal as a drug deal. So he was clearly opposed to what is going on. And Trump keeps saying it's all hearsay. You're not hearing from the people who are in the room. Well, Bolton was in the room, so he has an obligation to testify under oath instead of just teasing us on social media. He is teasing us on social media. Do you have any belief that he actually would want to talk in a public setting in front of Congress under oath? I'm very doubtful because fundamentally at the end of the day, although Bolton has very strong foreign policy views, and to his credit, I think he uh, championed those views in the White House, even when they were not popular with Donald Trump. Despite all of that, at the end of the day, Bolton is first and foremost a Republican partisan. He is part of this Republican infrastructure. He benefits from it. He's been on Fox News. He's got the super PAC. So I don't think he wants to do anything that would contribute to Donald Trump's impeachment because that would then burn his social networks, his financial networks, the entire infrastructure that supports John Bolton. Uh, we only have about 10 seconds left, but do you think he will say things publicly critical of the president on Twitter? I don't know about on Twitter, but he's certainly saying it, it, it in behind closed doors, and I suspect he will in his book, for which he's getting $2 million. Yeah, he, he may say it in his book, also yeah. to paid speeches and audiences, yes. but not for free, under oath, before Congress and the American people. Max exactly. Boot, great to have you with us tonight. Thanks so much. Have a happy Thanksgiving. You too, John. All right, the news continues, so it's time to hand it over to Chris for Cuomo Primetime. 